Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome back to episode number 15 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron, and thank you so much for joining me on another great episode of Combat Bets, where we'll get into what's going on in the UFC and boxing. And don't forget, this weekend on Saturday, July 11th, in perhaps the biggest fight card of the year for the UFC, we have UFC 251, Usman versus Masvidal in the main event from Yas Island in Abu Dhabi in the coronavirus bubble that the UFC has set up. It's really going to be a great fight card, and I know that I cannot wait till Saturday rolls around and I'll be set up to watch those great fights. So we'll get into UFC 251 a little later in the show, but some great title fights to look forward to. Three titles on the line uh, in that UFC card, so it's really going to be a historic night for the UFC, and I really cannot wait to see what happens to see if all the champions retain their belts, to see if Peter Yan can indeed beat Jose Aldo, to see if Max Holloway can avenge his loss against Alexander Volkanovsky in their rematch, and to see if Usman really is as dominant as he appears to be. Because as we know, Jorge Masvidal is capable of anything in there as he's shown in his past fights. However, before I get into previewing more of UFC 251, let me get into a recap of UFC Fight Night Poirier versus Hooker, which was back on June 27th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And in the co-main event, we had a welterweight fight between Platinum Mike Perry and Mickey Gall. Mike Perry ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision. I thought he would get the knockout, but give credit to Gall for lasting all uh, three rounds in there against a great power hitter in uh, Mike Perry. And we look at the stats here for the fight. Perry landed 103 out of 158 total strikes, while Gall only landed 59 out of 111 total strikes. And then you look at the control time. Perry had 5 minutes and 44 seconds of ground control time, while Mickey Gall only had 51 seconds of ground control time and I thought the only way that Mickey Gall would really have a chance in this fight is to make it a grappling match because I didn't think he could match Mike Perry in terms of striking although give a lot of credit to Mickey Gall because early on in the fight it looks like he was perhaps getting the better of Mike Perry landing a few more punches because of his height and reach advantage over the shorter Perry, but Perry uh, quickly gained his rhythm. He was throwing more combinations, landing the heavier shots because he is more of a power puncher. Even though he is quite compact and strong, he does tend to throw a lot of power punches, and that's exactly what happened against Mickey Gall, and uh, he deservedly got the decision over him, and it Um, Perry really needed the win here because he was coming off a few losses prior to his fight against Gall. So a big win for him. However, uh, I recently saw there was a video posted of Mike Perry 
punching an elderly man as he was leaving a restaurant and he was yelling uh, in the video. It, it really did not make Perry look very good. Reminded me of the video of Conor McGregor punching an elderly man in a pub. And what's with UFC fighters and uh, getting in trouble and being on TMZ and uh, the video being posted as they get into altercations in a pub or a restaurant? These guys have really just got to be good, good citizens and not create too much trouble because Perry isn't uh, a fighter at the level of McGregor and he can't really afford any more setbacks if he does indeed want to be uh, more successful in the octagon. Incidents like this really do not help him much. And then going back to his fight against Mickey Gall, guess what? He didn't have a a coach in his corner he brought his girlfriend out there to be his main coach in his corner and he ended up winning the fight against an inferior opponent in Mickey Gall but if he takes on a better caliber of opponents I would definitely suggest that Mike Perry has a coach in his corner but if he thinks he can do it all on his own and doesn't need to pay a coach then you know you got to give him credit because he did indeed prove any doubt of doubters wrong in his win over Mickey Gall as he looked like the more powerful fighter the fighter that could get his strikes off more easily and then you look at um, some more fight stats here the legs um, Mickey Gall landed eight out of eight leg kicks while Perry landed 13 out of 13 leg kicks so you could see most of this was a boxing match and when you get into a boxing match against Mike Perry most likely you're not going to come out on the winning side and that's exactly what happened in this co-main event a pretty good fight not the fight of the night as that was in the main event with uh, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker but a decent co-main event and give a lot of credit to Mike Perry and then if I don't know if you guys watched the post-fight interview with Mike Perry he was talking about how the taxes are taking some of his money so he seems to not always have his mind on the fight game and as his uh, mind perhaps focused on other things like money or getting into altercations at restaurants he's really just got to calm down become more even keeled so he can um you know get more fans because watching that video it really turned me off to mike perry he seems like not a very nice guy and a very com combative figure inside the octagon and it looks like also outside the octagon and that's not what you want to see in a fighter you want to see a controlled fighter outside the octagon and then when they get in there you want to see them be an absolute killer and uh, Mike Perry doesn't seem to have the mental aptitude at this point to be able to grow up and uh, really show himself to be a good citizen in all facets of his life. And the incident in the video took place at a restaurant in Texas. And it's really just unfortunate to see that from Mike Perry. Hopefully he can learn from this and not repeat the same mistakes in the future. He's been in trouble with the law in the past. However, in this incident, he was not charged with anything, which is, I'm sure, a relief to him. But nonetheless, you can't be acting like this, especially if you're a celebrity like Mike Perry. Of course, it's going to draw negative attention, and it'll be interesting to see what the UFC does with him and uh, where he goes from here in his career. But hopefully, he won't commit the same mistakes in the future.
and uh, we'll just have to see what happens. And then as for Mickey Gall, it's clear he's just not that great of a fighter, and if he can't beat a shorter Mike Perry, then who really can he beat? But Mickey Gall is still young enough to improve and indeed get better, and perhaps uh, one day he could beat a fighter like Mike Perry. He was talking um, a lot of smack going into the fight, saying he was pretty confident and was going to show that the older Mike Perry should just retire. And uh, Mickey Gall is 28 years old, so he's not quite that young or too old yet. So we'll see if he can indeed improve. He's got decent all-around skills, but he's got to up his work rate and get better stamina because he looked to be fading as the fight went on, whereas Mike Perry's stamina seemed pretty even-keeled throughout the fight, and he didn't look to tire too much. And you got to give a lot of credit to his girlfriend, who was able to indeed help him get that big victory over Mickey Gall. Mike Perry won the fight on all three judges' scorecards, winning the fight 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards by unanimous decision. And I agree with that scorecard because it looked like Mickey Gall did indeed win the first round, but in the next two rounds, Mike Perry was able to put the pressure on Mickey Gall and fight at close range and got that uh, big decision win over Gall. And then in the main event, we had a lightweight main event at 155 pounds between Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. Poirier was the favorite going into this fight, and he ended up winning by unanimous decision 48-46, 48-47, and 48-47 in a five-round absolute classic a contender definitely for fight of the year as these two warriors absolutely put it down and neither was able or willing to take a step back and let the other fighter really take control and that's exactly what I expected going into this fight. I thought it'd be a very competitive back and forth affair and that's exactly what happened. And looking at the fight stats for this absolute classic fight, we had Poirier landing 208 out of 289 total strikes, while his opponent, Dan Hooker, landed 182 out of 283 total strikes. And then you look at the body uh, shots. Uh, Poirier only landed 20 out of 24 body shots, while Dan Hooker landed 36 out of 53 body shots. So you could see that Hooker was going to the body a bit more, and then also to the legs a lot more than Poirier, as Hooker landed 21 out of 23 leg strikes, while Poirier only landed 2 out of 2 leg strikes. And then now you look at the control time. Uh, Poirier was 1 of 7 on his takedown attempts, and he had 2 minutes and 49 seconds of ground control time whereas Dan Hooker was 4 of 9 on his takedown attempts and had 6 minutes and 2 seconds of ground control time. So a little more uh, striking versatility from Dan Hooker there as he was really peppering the body and legs of Dustin Poirier more than uh, Poirier was really hurting those portions of the body on Dan Hooker. And then you look at the head strikes. Poirier was really headhunting throughout the fight landing 131 out of 205 total head strikes, 
whereas Hooker only landed 98 out of 177 total head strikes. So what those stats show me is that Poirier had better head movement and was able to dodge out of the bigger punches that Dan Hooker was uh, trying to throw at him. And it also showed me that Poirier just has a dogged determination to win and is not willing to let a fighter like Dan Hooker beat him. And I had Poirier winning this fight three rounds to two. And if this fight only was a three-round fight, I think Dan Hooker would have won that fight. But that's why they call it the championship rounds, the last two rounds of a fight. And in those rounds, Poirier really showed that he has the stamina, the willpower, the boxing fundamentals to keep going, to keep fighting. And Dan Hooker seemed to kind of fade in those later rounds as he didn't have quite the stamina and the mental capability to keep up with uh, a fighter like Dustin Poirier that just is a dog in there, an absolute warrior that is not willing to let another fighter take his will from him. And we really only saw that when he fought the great Khabib Nurmagomedov in his uh, fight uh, to try to win the lightweight title at 155 pounds. But it's, it's just so hard to beat Khabib because he's just on a different level of grappling than all other fighters in the UFC. And I don't think Justin Gaethje is at that level of grappling if that fight does indeed happen. So while that loss was expected by uh, Dustin Poirier, his wins over Eddie Alvarez, over Max Holloway, and then most recently over Dan Hooker really show that Dustin Poirier is one of the best lightweights out there and definitely might deserve another title shot against Khabib. And I just really have to give my condolences to Khabib Nurmagomedov losing his father to the COVID-19 pandemic. Very sad as his father was his main coach and really brought him up and raised him in the sport of MMA and in Sambo combat wrestling, which is a Russian Sambo wrestling. And, uh, Khabib was, I believe, the world champion in that discipline before he did move into the UFC. So it's just really sad to see a great fighter, the best lightweight in the world at 155 pounds, Khabib, losing his father, who was an absolute icon back in Dagestan, as he was training a lot of fighters in the sport of MMA and really teaching them a lot of great skills. And that's part of the reason why Khabib is so good uh, today is because his father instilled in him discipline, instilled in him great wrestling techniques, and we have to really give it up for his father. And uh, my condolences go out to Khabib because it's never easy to lose a parent, and it's just uh, really sad because I know him and his father were very close. Khabib's father, Abdul Manap Nurmagomedov, was only 57 when he died of coronavirus complications and it's really a very tragic way to go because nobody wants to lose their parrot and it's a question of when will Khabib be ready to fight again after such a tragic loss and by no means should the UFC rush him back into the octagon. He should defend his title whenever he's ready to and whenever he's uh, able to mourn his father he should have all the time in the world to mourn the loss of his great father who was an absolute uh, combat sports icon and really brought up this generation of 
great fighters that we're seeing now and most predominantly in his son Khabib. So hopefully Khabib can get over this loss and get back in the octagon and prove why he is one of the best fighters we've ever seen in the UFC. And I believe that Khabib won't be losing his title anytime soon as he is just a very special fighter. And hopefully this uh, loss put, really puts things in perspective for him and he's able to really honor his father by continuing to be successful in the octagon and continuing to defend his title uh, for many years to come. And I expect that will be what Khabib will indeed do. But uh, my condolences, as I said, really go out to Khabib. He's one of my favorite fighters. He's one of the toughest fighters in the sport to beat. And I don't see him losing his title anytime soon. So... Um, Prayers up to Khabib and his father, an absolute great MMA coach, and uh, his loss will be felt deeply in the MMA community for sure, and beyond that in the sports world, as uh, Abdul Manap has left behind an incredible legacy, and Khabib will no doubt carry that on very proudly, and uh, you know what, another Russian champion could indeed be entering the UFC very soon when Peter Jan faces Jose Aldo. Of course, Khabib is the other Russian champion, and perhaps Peter Jan could join him coming up on July 11th at UFC 251. Getting back to my recap of Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, the main reasons I thought that Dustin Poirier did indeed deserve the decision win over Dan Hooker was because he had the better stamina, he had the better determination. He ended up having the better boxing fundamentals, and he's able to find the head of Dan Hooker a lot. And even though there were times in this fight when Dustin Poirier looked like he was going to get beat, like he was uh, on the back foot a little bit, especially on those takedowns by Dan Hooker, Poirier never stopped pushing, never stopped throwing punches, and never stopped believing in himself. And that's exactly what you need in a tough tough fight against a warrior like Dan Hooker and this is no doubt one of the fights of the year in the UFC and both these fighters should be very proud of their performances because neither fighter came to lose and I thought that Dustin Poirier just edged out the decision winning the fight three rounds to two in an absolute classic so if you haven't seen Dustin Poirier take on Dan Hooker I highly highly recommend going back and watching that fight that was back on June 27th the last uh, event that the UFC staged before, of course, going to Abu Dhabi and uh, Yas Island, where they'll kick off their events in July, starting with, of course, UFC 251. Now, let me hit some boxing topics. We have some pretty big boxing news that was recently announced. A tentative fight scheduled, I believe, for September 19th between Tiafimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko. And then in the co-main event, we have Ryan Garcia taking on Luke Campbell. And uh, Devin Haney could also perhaps be on that card. What a great fight card that would be, hopefully coming up in September. And what I'm hearing is they're hoping to have at least some fans in the stands uh, for that fight. So we'll see if that can indeed happen. Uh, Lomachenko versus Lopez has been a fight that boxing fans have talked about and wanted for a long time. And uh, I believe it's only a matter of time before we see that fight. And I'm not going to give my pick for that fight quite yet. But as we get into September and get closer to hopefully 
that fight. I will indeed be previewing that. And then also Luke Campbell against Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia is, of course, one of the top young prospects in all of boxing. Uh, he has great knockout power. And Luke Campbell is a decent all-round fighter. He's fought guys like Jorge Linares in the past and uh, done pretty well against them. So we'll see how uh, that fight would go. Uh, Luke Campbell is another young fighter with decent fighting skills. But I think Ryan Garcia might just be a class above him. And then Vasily Lomachenko versus Teofimo Lopez. Um, clearly, Lomachenko is the smaller fighter in there. He may have a slight size and strength disadvantage going in there against Lopez. But I think Lomachenko is one of the most technically sound fighters in all of boxing. And I think his boxing technique and his great skills and his speed would uh, be a real challenge for Lopez. And I know I cannot wait for that fight hopefully coming up in September. So there's some big news in boxing, if you hadn't heard. And then, of course, uh, Tyson Fury announced that his next three fights will hopefully be against Deontay Wilder and then against Anthony Joshua twice. So some big news in the heavyweight division. And then also, of course, some big news uh, concerning Lomachenko and Tiafimo Lopez. Hopefully we do indeed see all those fights happen because boxing need those those big fights uh, to grow their sport. And then uh, another champion that I'd like to take a look at for a second is Terrence Crawford. And uh, it's been talked about that he could fight the winner of Josh Taylor versus Jose Ramirez, who uh, the winner of that fight would indeed be the undisputed champ at 140 pounds. And I think Terrence Crawford is still a class... Uh, above those fighters but if he indeed does decide to move down to 140 and fight the winner of Taylor versus Ramirez count me in as definitely wanting to watch that fight and then another possible opponent for Terrence Crawford could be Errol Spence Jr. Hopefully we see that fight as well as I think Errol Spence has the size and uh, the reach to really give Terrence Crawford a lot of problems but we know that Crawford is one of the most special fighters in all of boxing and once he gets his timing down and his rhythm he really is very hard to hit and he spends uh, the first few rounds of the fight just studying his opponent getting the read on him and then once he has that he's really able to lock in and really hit and not get hit. And that's uh, one of the most beautiful things to see in boxing. And hopefully we see Terrence Crawford back in there pretty soon because it's been quite a long time since his uh, last fight. Now getting back into some boxing recaps in the main event on ESPN back on June 25th from the MGM Grand in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. We had the twin brother of Andrew Maloney, Jason Maloney taking on Leandro Bias. This was actually a matchup of two twins, as Leandro Bias is a twin, and of course, so is Jason Maloney. Unfortunately, his brother, Andrew Maloney, previously lost on Tuesday night to Joshua Franco. Franco ended up being the bigger fighter in there, and he was able to really use his will and uh, his inside boxing to beat up Andrew and ended up getting a very deserved decision win over him. However, his brother Jason Maloney, actually his twin, excuse me, looks to be the better of the two Maloney uh, twins. As uh, his brother, I was noticing Andrew Maloney was really not fighting the correct fight against a guy like Joshua Franco. 
he was hopping up and down too much and that seemed to waste a lot of his energy whereas his brother Jason Maloney really took it to Baez. He was able to fight Baez on the inside and you would figure as Baez was the taller and bigger fighter that he'd uh, have an advantage on the inside but uh, Jason Maloney decided not to take a step back and take the fight right to him and the fight ended up being stopped by uh, after the seventh round by the corner of Baez. They said after the fight that Baez couldn't really breathe and he was really struggling. But you have to give a lot of credit to Jason Maloney and the way he fought, how he just came forward and wasn't afraid of Baez and was absolutely able to punish him on the inside. He was the quicker fighter, the more effective fighter, the fresher fighter, the fighter with more stamina, and Baez was just beat up by the end, and it only took him seven rounds to get him out of there, and it was a really, really impressive performance from Jason Maloney, and uh, both these Maloney twins are definitely fighters you're going to want to keep an eye on. And even though uh, Andrew Maloney did suffer a loss to Joshua Franco, I believe it has been announced that they will indeed have a rematch. So hopefully Andrew can learn from his mistakes and uh, come out on the better side in the rematch against Joshua Franco. But as for Jason Maloney, I believe he fought this fight at 118 pounds. He's definitely ready for a title shot. He looks like the one of the best smaller fighters in boxing and he has a very exciting style and I really enjoyed uh, watching his performance against Baez so I'd definitely love to see Jason Maloney uh, hopefully back in Vegas in another main event on ESPN in the not too distant future and as you know both these uh, twins came over from Australia they were fighting for the first time really in the U.S. and both had a main event slots so it was a great exposure for these two Australian twins and uh, I definitely loved what I saw from uh, Jason Maloney. He really impressed me as he was uh, not willing to take a step back and looked like a really excellent inside fighter and really able to get off his combinations beautifully and uh, really beat up the bigger Baez and really just take the will out of him and uh, that's why the fight ended up being stopped after the seventh round and you got to give uh, Jason Maloney a lot of credit for putting that type of performance in just two days after watching his brother Andrew Maloney suffer a very tough decision loss to Joshua Franco and then as you know his brother Andrew also had to go to the hospital because uh, his eardrums were ruptured but Fortunately for Andrew, he's recovered and he seems to be doing much better. As we saw, he was uh, in an interview ringside uh, during the fight when uh, Jason Maloney was fighting. So it's good news that it appears that both Maloney brothers are now in better health. And Jason Maloney definitely did a lot of good by coming in and uh, beating a tough come-forward opponent like Baez. And he really showed that he's a class above fighters like Baez and hopefully Maloney uh, gets to fight better fighters in the future and uh, it was an impressive performance on ESPN. Jason Maloney really impressed me with the amount of power that he's able to generate only being 118 pounds and then also how he was able to fight on the inside so effectively against a bigger fighter. It looks like he needs a step up in competition and he's definitely a fighter to watch out for. And it looks like he has better fundamentals than his 
twin, Andrew Maloney, who tends to hop up and down a little bit too much. And I think that wastes a lot of unnecessary energy that Andrew really does need to be wasting in there. And it cost him against Joshua Franco. Fortunately, Jason Maloney doesn't fight with that same bouncing up and down um, fundamentals that Andrew seems to fight with. So hopefully he can learn something from uh, Jason Maloney and uh, both these fighters, both these twins can get better as uh, they continue on in their very promising boxing careers. Moving on from that boxing card and into the next boxing card on ESPN, which was from Mexico City, Mexico on June 27th. And in the main event, we had the great Miguel Berchelt, a great Mexican champion, taking on Elizir Valenzuela, and the fight ended up being stopped in the sixth round after Miguel Berchelt absolutely battered uh, the very overmatched Valenzuela in what was a non-title fight, a fight just for Berchelt to stay active as uh, he continues to find his next big opponent to fight. And what really impresses me about the way that Berchelt fights is that he's not only very powerful and very punishing in there, he's also very accurate, as we can see from the punch stats uh, in the post-fight. So for the post-fight punch stats, Miguel Burchelt landed 49% of his total punches, while his opponent, Valenzuela, only landed 12% of his punches. And Miguel Burchelt threw 478 punches, and he landed 232 of those and 50 to the body. His opponent only landed 37 and 12 to the body. So what this shows me is that Burchelt was very accurate, landing 49% of his punches and not really getting hit as he was only landed on 12% by Valenzuela. It also shows me that Miguel Burchelt definitely needs a step up in competition and he deserves to be fighting uh, the best fighters in his division. There's been talked about as a possible opponent for him is Shakur Stevenson. That is a fight that I would absolutely love to see. I don't know if Shakur Stevenson at his young age is quite ready for a monster like Burchelt yet, but soon enough, hopefully we do see Shakur Stevenson taking on Miguel Burchelt. It's the classic boxer versus puncher matchup that we love to see in boxing. Of course, Shakur is the boxer, and Miguel Burchelt is really more of the puncher. But we really can't discount Burchelt's fundamentals and his tactics because you can't be that accurate of a puncher unless you have great fundamentals and a great ability to move around the ring. And that's what Burchelt shows. He has great ring generalship. He doesn't just headhunt. He's also willing to go to the body. As we saw, he landed, as I said previously, 50 body shots, which is quite a lot in a fight that only lasted six rounds and then you look at the power punches Burchelt landed an unfathomable 63% of his power punches he threw 321 and landed 201 and was only landed on 35 power punches by Valenzuela so once again this shows me he was hitting Valenzuela a lot and not really getting hit with anything of any consequence by his very overmatched opponent and like I said previously Hopefully we see Burchelt against Shakur Stevenson in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Burchelt is definitely one of the most talented fighters in all of boxing, and it's impressive because not only is he very punishing, he's also very accurate, and uh, that's what we saw once again against uh, 
Valenzuela a few Saturdays ago. So if you haven't seen that fight, check it out because Brashelt is one of the most exciting fighters in all of boxing. He definitely has a very fan-friendly style, mostly an offensive fighter that is willing to punish his opponents to the body and to the head until he eventually overwhelms them and gets that knockout victory as he did once again. Burchelt showed once again why he is absolutely appointment viewing whenever he does indeed get in the ring. He's one of the most special fighters and I cannot wait to see where Burchelt goes next in his career. And don't forget a few weeks prior to that we had another great Mexican champion in Emmanuel Navarrete winning his fight by knockout also. So both these guys in Navarrete and Miguel Burchelt are both great, great Mexican champions and are really helping uh, push the sport of boxing forward in Mexico. So we got Canelo Alvarez, we got Miguel Burchelt, we got Jose Ramirez, and we got, of course, Emmanuel Navarrete. So boxing is very well represented. And don't forget about Leo Santa Cruz. So, as I said, boxing is very well represented in the Mexican contingent, and hopefully these great Mexican fighters can continue to win and continue to be a a very powerful source of pride for the Mexican people. The next fight on ESPN was Alex Saucedo taking on Sonny Fredrickson. Saucedo has been in some absolute wars in the past. If you remember, he lost to Maurice Hooker, by 7th round TKO, and that was his only professional loss, but he fought an absolute class against against Lenny Zapavinga, a fighter from Australia. If you haven't seen that fight, it was an absolute classic, and I highly recommend checking that fight out. But getting back to his fight against Sonny Fredrickson, it was clear that Saucedo was the quicker fighter in there, the fighter that could throw more combinations and Fredrickson didn't quite have the speed or the boxing fundamentals or the defensive instincts to really get out of the way of enough punches and land enough of his own punches to get the victory over Saucedo, who ended up getting the unanimous decision win over Sonny Fredrickson uh, this past June 30th from uh, the MGM Grand. And let's look at uh, the punch stats here. For Saucedo, Saucedo threw an incredible 885 punches, but he only landed 318. That's good for a 36% uh, connect rate. And then he landed uh, 63 body shots. And then his opponent, Fredrickson, landed uh, 172 punches and threw 584 for only a 29% connect rate. And he landed 19 shots to the body. So both these fighters landed around the same amount of percentage, uh, Saucedo a little more, uh, but the difference in this was the activity of Saucedo. He was the more active fighter in there, he had better stamina, resulting in better combination punching, and he outlanded him by more than 100 punches. And when you do that, you're most likely going to win the fight. And Saucedo uh, really should have perhaps gotten a knockout win here to really push his career forward. But his own, with his only career loss coming to the very talented Maurice Hooker, uh, Saucedo definitely is a young fighter worth keeping an eye on as he is capable of putting on very uh, entertaining performances and he's can get it done in a myriad of ways. He can get it done with boxing. He can get it done if he has to dig deep against a tough opponent. 
And against Fredrickson, I believe he just showed that he was a class above him and he deserves to be matched up with uh, better fighters in the future. And Fredrickson was thought of as a pretty talented fighter, but it's clear that he's not quite at the level of Saucedo just yet. But uh, Saucedo is definitely going to keep pushing and I believe he's destined uh, for great things. And I'd actually love to see him get a rematch against Maurice Hooker and see how that fight would go with Saucedo learning uh, some more tricks of the trade in his fights after that loss to Maurice Hooker. We of course know Maurice Hooker lost to Jose Ramirez by knockout. So both Maurice Hooker and Alex Saucedo would definitely gain a lot from uh, fighting again in the future, and hopefully we do indeed see that rematch. But if not, Saucedo is a very young, hungry fighter, and he's very talented. He's very active in the ring. As I said, he threw 885 punches in a 10-round fight. That's uh, quite a lot of punches and quite a lot of ring activity in there. So he's a very fan-friendly fighter, just like Miguel Burchell. And uh, we'll see where Saucedo goes from here. He definitely couldn't afford a loss against Sonny Fredrickson. And he didn't. And he performed very well in his main event slot. And one of the reasons that Saucedo was able to control this fight is because he utilized the jab very well. And it looked like Fredrickson was just covering up, you know, earmuff style with his hands up by his head. And that's not really uh, great fundamentals from Fredrickson. Boxers are taught to always move their head, so uh, the line of their head is not a clear target for their opponent. Fredrickson was not able to do this, instead just covering up and uh, taking a lot of punishment from Saucedo. So hopefully Fredrickson can learn from this and come uh, back in his next fight with better fundamentals. And for Saucedo, he just needs to continue to stay active and continue to improve to reach uh, the elite level of the sport. And he's still young enough to be able to do that, so we'll see where he goes from here. The next fight card that we had on ESPN came from, again, the MGM Grand in uh, Las Vegas on July 2nd. We had Jose Pedrosa taking on Mikel Lapierre in the main event. Pedrosa ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision after 10 rounds. And looking at Pedraza's record, he's only lost to Jose Cepeda, Vasily Lomachenko, and Gervonta Davis. Both Gervonta Davis and Vasily Lomachenko are amazing fighters, so it's kind of expected that a fighter like Pedraza would lose to Gervonta Davis and Vasily Lomachenko, but the unanimous decision loss to Jose Cepeda was probably the most disappointing loss of his career, and he was actually coming off that loss going into his fight against Mikel Lapierre. And it was clear when this fight started that uh, Pedrosa and Lapierre were just on different levels of boxing. And that's kind of what I expected because Mikel Lapierre is not a full-time boxer. He actually has a job in New York in the hospital, and he was on the front lines fighting this coronavirus pandemic so you got to give him a lot of credit for that but when a fighter is not fully focused on his 
craft of boxing. It kind of shows in the ring. And that's indeed what happened against a full-time professional fighter in Jose Pedraza, who clearly is a class above a guy like Mikel LePierre. And for LePierre, it was a big opportunity for him in a main event slot on ESPN to really get some exposure and perhaps pull out an upset win over Pedraza. But Pedraza had uh, no intentions of letting that happen, being the quicker fighter in there, the more active fighter, the fighter that was able to fight on the inside and on the outside much more effectively than the slower LePierre. And he even knocked him down during the fight. And it was weird because uh, the referee ruled a knockdown when LePierre put down Pedraza. However, it was clearly a trip as their feet were tangled up and uh, they actually had to stop the fight in order to review the tape. And it gave LePierre a little bit more time to recover from the beating he was taking in between rounds. And perhaps if he didn't have that extra time to recover while they were reviewing the knockdown, then perhaps Pedraza could have got a knockout win instead of a decision win. But that didn't end up happening. And LePierre escaped knowing he went 10 full rounds against the very talented Jose Pedraza. Looking at the final punch stats for this fight, Pedraza threw 406 punches and landed 168 for a 41% connect rate, and he landed 44 shots to the body. His opponent, LePierre, threw 443 punches, only landing 69 of those with only a 16% connect rate, and he only landed 6 shots to the body in a 10-round fight, so really utter dominance from Pedraza. Even though he didn't throw as much as Lapierre, he was much more accurate with his punches, landing 41% of them. And for Pedraza, he might not be an elite-level fighter as he has lost to Gervonta Davis and Vasily Lomachenko, but he's probably just a step below the elite-level fighters in the sport, like a Gervonta Davis or Vasily Lomachenko or Terence Crawford, he's just probably a little under that level of fighting, but he's definitely a very quality boxer and definitely deserves more big fights in the future. And with this impressive performance against Lapierre, I think Pedraza has set himself up nicely for some bigger fights on ESPN in the future on top rank. So we'll see if that indeed does happen. And uh, he put in a great performance against LePierre as he was clearly the more skilled boxer, the more fundamentally sound boxer, the more active fighter in there, the more accurate puncher. And uh, it was really a mismatch from the start for Jose Pedraza. And he did a lot of good by putting on a great performance and hopefully he gets another big fight in the future. I'd love to see Jose Pedraza take on Jose Cepeda in a rematch, as he did lose to Cepeda by unanimous decision in his previous fight to LePierre. So hopefully a rematch between those two fighters could happen to see who indeed is the better fighter in there. And I believe that Jose Pedraza could do very well in that rematch, but that remains to be seen especially judging by uh, Jose Cepeda's most recent performance. He wasn't the most impressive, and uh, I definitely thought that Pedraza had a more impressive performance than Cepeda uh, when judging their two fights. Let me move on to that fight next. On July 7th, Jose Cepeda took on Kendo Castaneda, 
and won the fight by unanimous decision after 10 rounds in the MGM Grand uh, from Las Vegas, Nevada. And it really didn't impress me that much, his performance by Cepeda. I thought he should have really took generalship of the ring a little bit more and really tried to push the pace to get a fighter like Castaneda out of there, who's clearly a class below Cepeda. And as I said previously, I was definitely more impressed by Pedraza's performance than I was uh, with Cepeda. And Cepeda actually said post-fight that when the competition goes up, his uh, boxing also goes up. And that's indeed what we saw as uh, if he didn't have that good competition as he did against Castaneda, then perhaps he's not going to push himself and be the best boxer that he can be against uh, that lower uh, tier of competition. And that's indeed what we saw with Cepeda. And looking at uh, the punch stats for that fight, Cepeda threw 446 punches and only landed 149 for a 33% connect rate. His opponent, Castaneda, threw 422 punches and only landed 93 for a 22% connect rate. And Cepeda landed 47 body punches. His opponent, Castaneda, only landed 10 body punches. So you could see from this fight that it really wasn't that much of an action fight. It was mostly fought on the inside and really wasn't the most exciting fight to watch. And as I said previously, when you only land 149 punches in a 10-round fight, it really can't be that exciting. And it was really kind of a hard watch. So we'll see where Cepeda goes from here. And hopefully when he gets a step up in competition, he can indeed step up himself and perform better than he did. Even though he got the win, he didn't really impress me that much. And I definitely, as I said previously, love to see Jose Pedraza and Jose Cepeda once again fight in a rematch. So some pretty decent fight cards uh, these past few weeks on ESPN. Thank you so much for listening to my recaps of uh, the boxing fight cards. And now I'm going to move back into the previews of upcoming fights in boxing and also in the UFC. I'll go ahead and start with boxing before I move into previewing this weekend's UFC fight card on July 11th, UFC 251. So let me get back into boxing and starting on July 9th, this Thursday, we have Carlos Takam, a heavyweight fighter taking on Jerry Forrest. And I'm not really too uh, familiar with Jerry Forrest, I'm more familiar with Carlos Takam. Takam is definitely one of the better heavyweights out there. His only career losses have come to Gregory Tony, and then after that, he lost to Alexander Povetkin, then he lost to Joseph Parker, then he lost to Anthony Joshua and Derek Chisora. All those losses are against very quality fighters, and he's beat all uh, his other opponents. He has a record of 38-5-1, so you can see he has a very extensive boxing career with over 40 professional fights only losing to very quality opposition. And I don't think that Jerry Forrest is quite going to be at the level of Carlos Takam, especially uh, because Takam can draw on his experiences fighting guys like Anthony Joshua and Joseph Parker in the past. And I just don't think that Jerry Forrest is going to be quite on that level to really challenge him. 
Jerry Forrest is a pretty decent fighter in his own right. His record is 26-3 with 20 wins by knockout. And his three career losses have come to Jermaine Franklin by split decision. Then he lost to Michael Hunter by unanimous decision and Gerald Washington by KO. So he's been most of his opponents and he's coming off a KO win over Martez Williamson in his most recent fight. And then looking at the odds for this fight, they're actually pretty close. Carlos Takam is a slight favorite at minus 150. His opponent, Jerry Forrest, is an underdog at plus 125. So Jerry Forrest definitely could pull off the upset win over Carlos Takam. Takam is already 39 years old, so he's definitely on the back end of his career, and he's really going to need to put in a very focused performance to beat the younger Jerry Forrest. So we'll see how that fight goes, but it should be a very exciting heavyweight fight between two guys that are still uh, hungry and looking to push for more. But Carlos Takam is definitely the more known name. And this is a chance for Jerry Forrest to prove that he deserves to be in there against a very experienced fighter like Carlos Takam. And Jerry Forrest is 32 years old, so he's uh, not that young either. And he's six foot one with a 78-inch reach. His opponent, Carlos Takam, as I said previously, is 39 years old. But he's still a very young 39, a very in shape 39 years old fighter. And he's six foot one and a half with an 80 and a half inch reach. So the height and reach are pretty much identical to Forrest, even though uh, Forrest is the younger fighter in there. It should be a very competitive heavyweight fight. And whenever two heavyweights get in there, really anything can happen. And that's why we love heavyweight boxing. So tune in Thursday. July 9th for a pretty decent boxing fight card on ESPN. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Carlos Takam to get the win here by split decision over a pretty uh, up-and-coming challenger in Jerry Forrest. So we'll see if I am indeed correct in my prediction. And then also on this fight card, we have Jared Anderson taking on Hector Perez. Four rounds, a heavyweight fight. Jared Anderson is one of the most talented American uh, boxing heavyweight prospects in all of boxing, and he's still very young, and we'll see if he can indeed get another knockout win. Anderson looks like he has the power and perhaps even the fundamentals to really go far in this sport, so another fight to stay active for this young fighter is good for his career, and I expect him to get another knockout win over Hector Perez. So tune in on July 9th for another decent boxing card on ESPN. And then moving on, on July 14th from Las Vegas, also on ESPN, we have Jamel Herring taking on Jonathan Okedo, 12 rounds for Herring's WBO junior lightweight title. Jamel Herring is a former Marine, and he's a very disciplined fighter in there, and I expect him to get the win over Okendo. 
I'm not really too familiar with his opponent, but watching the tape on Herring, I'm noticing he's a very fundamentally sound boxer, and he's training up in Omaha, Nebraska with the great Terrence Crawford. So anytime you train with a great fighter like Crawford, it can only help your fight game, and I expect that to indeed be the case when he steps in the ring. We should see an improved Jamel Herring, who actually had to have his fight pushed back because he tested positive for the coronavirus Fortunately, he's recovered, and that fight has been rescheduled for July 14th. So you're not going to want to miss Jamel Herring fighting, as he's a proud American Marine, and uh, he's really representing his country well. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Herring here to get the win by unanimous decision over Jonathan Okendo. And then in the co-main event, we have Michaela Meyer taking on Helen Joseph. If you remember... Michaela Mayer was actually scheduled to fight a few weeks prior, but that fight got called off after she tested positive for the coronavirus. Fortunately, her fight with Helen Joseph has now been rescheduled, and I expect Michaela Mayer to indeed get the win. I'll predict a unanimous decision victory for Michaela Mayer over Helen Joseph. So tune into that fight card on July 14th, and we should see both Herring and Michaela Mayer. Both get wins, both great American fighters that are just trying to move ahead in their careers. And then on July 16th from Las Vegas, we have Miguel Mariaga taking on Mark John Yap. I'm not really too familiar with uh, John Yap, but I'm pretty familiar with Mariaga. I believe he fought Vasily Lomachenko but lost to him. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Mariaga to get the win here, most likely by knockout. So those are some pretty decent fights to look forward to in the world of boxing. Let me just recap those uh, previews for you. On July 9th, of course, the heavyweight main event between Carlos Takam, kind of a journeyman heavyweight fighter that's fought the best in the sport, and Anthony Joshua and Joseph Parker taking on Jerry Forrest. And then on July 14th, we have Jamel Herring taking on Jonathan Okendo. I'm expecting Herring to get the win there by unanimous decision. And then on July 16th, Miguel Mariaga taking on Mark John Yap. And actually, there's one more fight card that's scheduled for July 10th from London that won't be on ESPN. It's uh, Brad Foster taking on James Beach Jr. Super Bantamweight fight. I'm not really too familiar with those two fighters, so I'm going to hold off on predicting a winner in that fight, but I believe that Brad Foster is the favorite in that fight. So that will conclude my previews for the upcoming boxing matches, and now I'm going to get into my previews of the UFC. So on July 11th from Yas Island in Abu Dhabi, we have UFC 251 Usman versus Masvidal. Of course, Gilbert Burns was scheduled to take on Kamara Usman for his welterweight title. However, unfortunately for Gilbert Burns, he ended up testing positive for the coronavirus, and that fight unfortunately was called off. However, Jorge Masvidal came to the rescue to save the main event, and uh, he's going to put in a very exciting performance against Kamara Usman. Masvidal stepped in to take the fight, on only six days notice and it's going to be a really tough task to beat the great Kamara Usman 
for Masvidal, but if anyone can pull off the upset, he can. In the fourth fight on this pay-per-view card, we have Jessica Andrade taking on Rose Namajunas in uh, the strawweight division. Andrade is 5'1", 115 pounds, with a 62-inch reach. Her opponent, Namajunas, is 5'5", 115 pounds, with a 65-inch reach. The odds for this fight are Namajunas is a favorite at minus 200. Her opponent, Andrade, is a slight underdog at plus 175. In looking at Nama Yunus's record, her last loss actually came to Jessica Andrade in her last fight when they uh, fought. That was back on May 11th, 2019. So this will be a rematch for both fighters. And Jessica Andrade beat her by KO slam in the second round. She just picked Nama Yunus up and slammed her to the ground and... Uh, on, right on her head and that ended the fight in emphatic fashion for Andrade. However, since then, Andrade uh, has fought again and she lost to the current champion Zhang Wei Li by TKO knees and punches in the first round only 42 seconds into that fight. So after her loss to Zhang Wei Li, we'll see if uh, Jessica Andrade is indeed the same fighter that was able to so emphatically beat uh, Rose Namajunas in their last fight. And this is going to be a very interesting rematch for both fighters because I believe the winner of this fight would indeed deserve the next title shot against Zhang Wei Li at strawweight at 115 pounds. So we'll see if that indeed does happen. But I'm going to go ahead and pick Rose Namajunas to get a revenge win over Jessica Andrade here. I just think she's the better striker. She's going to come in more focused. Perhaps she won't fall into the same mistakes she did against Andrade in their first fight and she's going to try to keep this fight on the outside and really use her height and her reach advantages to get the win. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Nama Yunus to get the win here by unanimous decision over a very talented challenger that beat her previously in Jessica Andrade. However, after her loss to Zhang Wei Li, I don't know if Andrade will ever be the same. And then, of course, in their th- the third fight on the card, we have a bantamweight title fight between Peter Yan and Jose Aldo. Yan is 5'7", 135 pounds with a 67-inch reach. Jose Aldo is 5'7", 135 pounds with a 70-inch reach. So he's going to go into the fight with a 3-inch reach advantage and definitely the experience advantage over Jan. However, looking at their ages, Jose Aldo is already 33 years old, where his opponent, Peter Jan, a Russian fighter, is only 27 years old. Peter Jan is definitely the fresher fighter, the fighter that's been through less wars. He may not have the experience of Jose Aldo, but he definitely has the striking versatility, the wrestling acuity and uh, the overall fight IQ to beat a fighter like Jose Aldo. And let's just look at Jose Aldo's record here as he is coming off a few losses uh, since uh, losing his featherweight title 
to Conor McGregor all those years ago. And ever since that knockout loss to McGregor, I don't think Jose Aldo has been the same fighter. And that just uh, has shown up time and time again in his past fights. So in uh, let's look at those fights. He lost to Conor McGregor. Then he lost to Max Holloway twice both by knockout, then he lost to Alexander Volkanovsky by unanimous decision, and most recently he's coming off a split decision loss to Marlon Moras, and that was a bantamweight bout. So uh, this will be actually Aldo's second fight at bantamweight, as he has been a career featherweight at 145 pounds. So we'll see how that weight cut treats Aldo, as a Peter Yan is definitely the more natural 135 pound bantamweight fighter so I'm going to go ahead and pick Peter Yan to get the win here I just think he's the younger fighter he's not coming off two straight losses like his opponent Jose Aldo is uh Yan's record is 14 and 1 and he's coming off a KO win over Uriah Faber back in December of 2019 and he's on quite the win streak before that, he beat Jimmy Rivera and John Dodson, both very quality fighters. And uh, Uriah Faber is probably the most impressive fighter that he has beaten in his career. And he definitely deserves to be fighting for the title. And there's no doubt that the winner of Jose Aldo and Peter Yan should be fighting Aljamain Sterling next. And looking at the odds for this fight, Yan is the favorite at minus 240. Aldo, the underdog, at plus 200. I'm going to go ahead and pick Jan here to get the win. Remember, this is a five-round fight, so it uh, is really going to test the stamina of these two fighters. And Aldo's really going to have to prove if he still does indeed have a lot of fight left in the tank. I don't really know what qualifies uh, Jose Aldo to be getting this title shot against uh, Peter Jan. I believe a guy like Marlon Moras or maybe even Aljamain Sterling deserves to be fighting Peter Yan for the title. Really the only reason that Jose Aldo is getting this opportunity to fight at bantamweight for the title is because of the name recognition of Jose Aldo and all the great things that he's accomplished in his career. But by no means based on merit does Jose Aldo deserve to be in this fight. So that's why I'm going to go ahead and pick Peter Yan to beat Jose Aldo, I just think he's going to have more stamina in there, more strength, and more striking versatility. And it looks like Jose Aldo is definitely past his prime. So I'm going to go ahead and say Peter Yan by fourth round TKO over the very talented and a legendary featherweight. However, at bantamweight, Jose Aldo isn't going to be quite the fighter. He won't have quite the strength that he does at 145 pounds. And I think Jan is really going to be able to take advantage of this and get a big, emphatic knockout win over Jose Aldo. And then in the co-main event for UFC 251, we have a rematch between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. Volkanovsky is 5'6", 145 pounds, with a 71-inch reach. His opponent, Max Holloway, is 5'11", 145 pounds, with a 69-inch reach. So this should be a very competitive fight. And then looking at the ages of these two fighters, Volkanovsky is 31 years old, and his opponent, Max Holloway, is 
28 years old, so little younger than Volkanovski. And of course, we know Holloway as the former champion at featherweight. However, he lost his title in a unanimous decision loss to Volkanovski in his last fight. And ever since Max Holloway took a beating against Dustin Poirier, I don't think he's been the same fighter since then. He hasn't shown the same heart, the same great the same uh, boxing fundamentals that made him such a great champion, beating Jose Aldo twice, beating Brian Ortega, and uh, I just don't know if Max Holloway can get back up to that level he was before his loss to Dustin Poirier. And uh, Volkanovski in their previous fight, he really was able to attack the legs of Max Holloway and was really able to use his leg kicks to great effectiveness to slow down Holloway and not allow him to come forward and really gain a rhythm as he's usually able to do against most opponents and I think it's going to be a very competitive fight and looking at the odds for this fight Volkanovski is the favorite at minus 220 whereas Holloway is the underdog at plus 185 so this is going to be probably mostly a stand-up battle just as their first fight was and I don't know if Holloway can get away from the leg kicks of Volkanovski and land enough of his own punches to get the win over uh, the champion. And we'll see if their second fight plays out any differently than their first fight. Volkanovski has a record of 21-1 with 11 wins by knockout, 3 by submission, and 7 by submission. And he's undefeated in the UFC. His most recent wins have come over Max Holloway. Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, and Darren Elkins. So some pretty impressive names that he's got wins over, and he's now fighting Max Holloway once again in their rematch. And it'll be interesting to see how both fighters have improved since their first fight. But I just don't know if Max Holloway is going to be able to put in a great performance and get his belt back because... As I said previously, ever since his loss to Dustin Poirier, he just doesn't look like the same fighter. And after his uh, loss to Poirier, he fought Frankie Edgar, but only beat him by unanimous decision. And to me, a guy like Holloway should have knocked out Frankie Edgar and easily uh, took control of that fight, but he didn't, and Edgar ended up lasting the uh, full uh, five rounds of that fight. And then in his most recent uh, loss. He lost to Alexander Volkanovsky by unanimous decision, and that was back in uh, December of 2019. So a lot of time off for Holloway to rest and reset and hopefully come in with a better game plan against the very tricky Volkanovsky, who's proven very difficult to hit and is a very accurate striker, and he really uh, has a lot of striking versatility decent boxing skills and he showed against Holloway he has really effective leg kicks that can really slow down an opponent even a very oncoming and very talented opponent in Max Holloway. So I'm going to have to go with Volkanovski to once again get the win here over Holloway as much as I'd love to see Holloway get his belt back. I just don't know if he has the boxing fundamentals or uh, the speed and uh, the reach to really get in there and make this a dirty fight and make this a fight that Volkanovski is not comfortable in. I think that Volkanovski just showed that he has really great fundamentals and with his kicks 
and his decent boxing skills, he's shown that he can even beat a great champion like Max Holloway. So this should be a very interesting rematch that really could go either way, but I'm just going to have to go with Volkanovski just to edge it by split decision this time over Holloway. I think it's going to be a close fight, and I think Volkanovski might have a little better stamina and a little better uh, striking versatility, especially with his kicks. And Holloway might want to switch stances just so he doesn't get kicked in the legs as much as he did in their first fight. So we'll see if he switches from orthodox to southpaw to give Volkanovski a different look in there. So this should be a very close competitive fight, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Volkanovski to get the win here by split decision. And I'd love to see Holloway get his belt back, but I just don't know if he's the same fighter after taking a beating against Dustin Poirier. Moving on from that co-main event to the main event, we have Kamaro Usman taking on Jorge Masvidal at welterweight at 175 pounds. Usman is the favorite at minus 250. Masvidal the underdog at plus 210. And then looking at their stats... Usman is 6 feet, 170 pounds with a 76 inch reach and he is 33 years old. His opponent, Jorge Masvidal, is 5'11", 170 pounds with a 74 inch reach and he is 35 years old. So Usman is 2 years younger than Masvidal with a 2 inch reach advantage and an inch in height advantage for Usman. And I was hearing that Masvidal when he signed on to fight this uh, title fight on short notice that he weighed in at over 190 pounds. So that means that Masvidal has to cut over 20 pounds of weight in under a week in order to make weight at 170 pounds and make this an official title fight. So that's going to be a very tough weight cut for Masvidal and that could result in him coming in a little fatigued in uh, their main event. And I expect Usman to get the win here. He's the fighter that's been training. He was preparing to fight Gilbert Burns, but then he ended up getting the fight against Jorge Masvidal, a fight that I think most fight fans really wanted to see, as Masvidal is one of the most exciting fighters in all of the UFC. But I think that Usman is just the boogeyman of the division. They call him the nightmare for a reason. And of course, Jorge Masvidal is called Gamebred. So we'll see how this fight goes. You can never really count Masvidal out. As he's shown in his past fights, he's an absolute warrior in there. And let's look at Jorge Masvidal's record here. He is uh, coming off a very impressive 2019 where he was named 2019 UFC Fighter of the Year. And for good reason. Ever since his unanimous decision loss to Stephen Thompson, he beat Darren Till by KO punches back in the second round. Then he beat Ben Askren by flying knee KO after only five seconds, the fastest knockout in UFC history. And then his most recent win came against Nate Diaz, and that came by TKO Dr. Stoppage after three rounds because of the cuts that uh, Nate Diaz had on his face. The doctor ruled it that he could no longer continue. Jorge Masvidal says he would love to run it back against Nate Diaz and give him a rematch, and I know every fight fan would love to see Masvidal and Diaz fight once again. 
However, Masvidal has never fought a fighter quite to the skill level of Kamaro Usman, who's really a step above, I think, the other welterweights in the division. And I think the fight against Gilbert Burns would actually have been a closer fight. But Jorge Masvidal is really capable of anything in the octagon, as he's shown against Ben Askren and Darren Till. So we'll see how this fight goes. But I'm going to go ahead and pick Kamara Usman to get the win here by unanimous decision. I just think he's going to be the better wrestler in there. And he's shown against Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley to be a very talented striker in there. And he's shown uh, against Covington that he could indeed outlast him. And uh, he can really push the pace for a full five rounds. And I'm not sure if Masvidal quite has the stamina to stick with Usman for a full five round championship level fight and looking at Usman's record he has a record of 16 and 1 his only loss came in his second career fight to Jose Caceres and he's undefeated in the UFC his most recent wins have come against Colby Covington he won by TKO in the fifth round and then he beat Tyron Woodley to win the welterweight title by unanimous decision Previous to that, he beat Rafael Dos Anjos by unanimous decision and Damian Maya by unanimous decision. So with wins over Damian Maya, Rafael Dos Anjos, Tyron Woodley, and most recently against Colby Covington, Kamaro Usman has definitely earned his title at welterweight, and it doesn't look like he'll be losing it anytime soon. And I don't expect Masvidal to give him too much trouble. Although Masvidal is a very unpredictable striker and he's capable of explosive movements as we saw against Ben Askren, I think Kamara Usman will be too disciplined for the wild Jorge Masvidal and he won't fall for any Masvidal's tricks. And I think no matter where the fight goes, it seems like Usman is always even-keeled, always very focused, and that's one of the reasons he has such great stamina, is because he doesn't waste movements, and he doesn't waste any energy. Usman is very specially aware of where he is in relation to his opponent, just as Jorge Masvidal is, and I think this could be a pretty great chess match between these very talented fighters, and Masvidal could definitely get the upset win over Usman, I just think that Usman is too disciplined, too fundamentally sound both on the feet and on the ground. He's proven to be a very good wrestler, and I think if this fight ends up being a grappling match, Usman definitely has the advantage in wrestling and could most likely dominate Masvidal on the ground, and couple that with Masvidal's extreme weight cut in under a week, he has to lose over 20 pounds. I think all those fat factors coming together uh, will indeed make it another, another successful title defense for Usman, who I'm going to go ahead and pick to win by unanimous decision over Jorge Masvidal in the main event at uh, UFC 251. So this is a very strong fight card that you're really not going to want to miss. And let me just recap my picks for you. I'm going to pick Nama Yunus. I'm going to pick uh, Peter Yan. And then I'll go with Alexander Volkanovsky and Kamaro Usman for my four fight picks for uh, UFC 251. So make sure not to miss it coming up July 11th on ESPN Pay-Per-View from Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. It's going to be a great fight card 
with three title fights on it. So I really cannot wait. And before I sign off here, I'm just going to give you one more UFC pick. And that is coming up on July 15th, UFC Fight Night, Qatar vs. Ige. We have in the main event, Calvin Qatar taking on Dan Ige. Qatar is 5'11", 145 pounds with a 72 inch reach and he is 32 years old and he will be taking on Dan Ige who is 5'7", 145 pounds with a 71 inch reach and he is 28 years old. I'm going to go ahead and pick Calvin Qatar to get the win here by third round TKO. He showed in his last fight getting a great knockout with some elbows that Qatar is definitely a warrior in there and uh, he can definitely throw down with anyone in the division. So I'm excited to see Qatar uh, fight once again in the main event and I'm going to go ahead and pick him to win by third round TKO over Dan Ige. I just think he's going to be the better striker in there. He definitely has more experience than Ige and that will indeed show I think he's got the better stamina, and if this fight does go to the ground, I think Qatar can uh, acquit himself quite nicely in a grappling match. So that should be a pretty exciting main event following uh, UFC 251 a few days later on July 15th. So you're not going to want to miss any of the fight cards coming up from Abu Dhabi um, in July, and I cannot wait for UFC 251 and the other fight cards that the UFC has planned for July from uh, Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. So it should be some great fight cards coming up in the UFC. And don't forget those boxing matches that I previewed uh, earlier in the episode. Thank you so much for listening, my fellow believers, to episode number 15 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. Kobe forever, Mamba forever. No justice, no peace. Remember, continue to social distance. Continue to wear your mask. I continue to see surging cases across the U.S. And it seems like other countries are doing a lot better job of containing this virus. So I encourage all my listeners, all my fellow believers to continue to practice social distancing, to continue to wear their mask. And we can slow the spread of this virus. We can do it and we can get back to normal. It just is going to take a collective effort. So thank you so much for listening and check back next week for my next episode where I'll preview some more upcoming UFC fight cards and get into what happened in boxing. Thank you so much and please stay safe out there and enjoy all the fights. Remember Thursday we have a boxing card coming up on ESPN Carlos Takam taking on Jerry Forrest and then do not forget of course UFC 251 on July 11th in the main event Kamara Usman taking on Jorge Masvidal a fight that I cannot wait for so thank you so much for listening and check back next week thank you thank you for listening to Believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a 5 star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.